Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to the Andrew Curtis Show. Week two, and they said we'd never get past the first week, right? Um, so glad to have you tuning in. And um, this week, it is my privilege to introduce you to Ricardo Hay. Now, Ricardo, I only met in the last few weeks, but it didn't take me long to realize that this guy had a fascinating story to tell. Um, we're going to go into the details of it later on, but if you've ever wondered what it would be like to live the highly idealistic life, chuck it all in and just say, no, I'm going to go live with lions in Africa. Well, here's a guy who's been there and done that. So I just wanted to get a bit of an idea of what his story was, how he came to this place of saying, you know what, I'm prepared to do that. Uh, and then just to hear what his experience was while he was there. And even then moving back to New Zealand in the last six weeks or so, um, how that's changed his perspective. It's a fascinating story, it's a really fun conversation, and I've already talked for too long. So, ladies and gentlemen, Ricardo Hay. Well, this is exciting. Mm, I'm, is. I'm looking forward to this conversation because you got a story that, um, as an idealist myself, yeah. like the idea of kind of chucking it all in and being like, that's it, I'm going to Africa, oh, yeah. uh, has some appeal. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so, um, I guess before we get into that, that's though... exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah what we talk about, like, talk about your, your life and the lead up to this kind of big decision first of all what were you doing before africa yeah so uh okay so i did the university thing mm -hmm. got the degree and then i squeezed my way into uh the world of advertising marketing yeah and i did that for a few years it was you know it was good no real complaints but um <clears throat> it lacked the adventure i seeked mm -hmm. so i was at this average advertising agency barnes katner's great place no real issues, um, but then I moved from there to the cruise ships. So I um, I applied for a job on the cruise ships, and I ended up do on Honda. Ad, do ad agency skills directly translate to <laughs> no. cruise ships pretty naturally? No, 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 no. <laughs> see, um, see, what I did is I looked around and thought, what would I be good at? And I've got some sales background just from doing part-time sales at university. Yep. And I came across artists at uh, being an art associate for this company called Park West Art Gallery. So um, I applied for that. They send you uh, a bunch of artists to research, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, you end up doing a few Skype interviews and then uh, like an online Skype test, which is where you essentially like do a presentation and they've got uh, the people in Miami America and they like uh, they test you with your art knowledge so they'll they'll give you like I don't know 50 60 artists mm -hmm. and you've got to know and learn all of them like their um their all their art and their kind of the accolades and the dates and everything to do with their art and maybe one or few creative points so was your degree then in, in an art history kind of thing? No, just... no, sorry. No, I did a Bachelor of Arts. I did a double major in Sociology and Film, TV, Media, okay. and then my honours in Film, TV, Media. So, uh -huh, I mean, right. that doesn't even translate to the marketing world, does it? So, um, so basically, the I, I studied what I wanted to study, right? Uh -huh. I was kind of one of these guys at university who was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just... I love the idea of learning, a lot of things interest me, and I'm essentially going to just put my degree in a frame and throw it on the wall and then get a job, right? <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. so that was, I mean, um, I, I really I had no real direction um, except for the fact that I wanted to learn the things that I was fascinated about. And wow. Sociology, 
it gave me a, a great great opportunity to learn new things and with the film tv media i it, i wasn't learning how to make movies i was learning how to dissect media and um and I actually wrote a lot of my, especially in the last few years and in my honours years, I took a sociological perspective mm. to uh, on media. So, um, so I I actually um, focused on new media, like this online world, this kind of digital self, your online avatar, um, and um, I spoke about the the kind of second self. Um, you know, in like uh, Facebook and Twitter and mm. all these different things and how that's kind of, um, not only is it a huge change, but how it affects us, um, how it's not only, you know, a mirror to to the online world, but it also is, you know, a two-way mirror in a sense. Yeah. So I, I can't remember my thesis that I did in my honest year. I, I, I spoke on... Um, uh, uh, the the narcissism of the online self. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I wow. used I used um, that kind of uh, because there's that tale of narcissus. That there was there's an um, an old folk legend of I, I believe his name's Narcissus. Isn't narcissus, it? yeah, it's a Greek legend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he fell in love with um, his reflection in the lake. Yeah, and he ended up. Um, if memory suits me correctly, he ended up um, falling in because mm. he was so in love with his reflection and he mm. ended up drowning himself. And um, so I kind of used that analogy throughout my honest thesis and kind of um, want to articulate how um, this online world, it, it has its benefits and it can be a great tool, a fantastic forum, but um, it's it's quite rare that we just use it for its positive attributes and it, right. it, it can be quite an um, uh, a trap in a sense yeah yeah see something that inspires me about the mm. start of that story mm. um, was the fact that you talked about how even your approach to university was just to pursue those things that naturally interested yeah, you yeah 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 I'll be honest that took me probably until like the last couple of years oh, wow. to mm. to see for myself and go oh you know what there's so much growth and opportunity and just pursuing those things for which I'm naturally yeah. curious about. Yeah, so yeah. where did where did that come from for you? Obviously you got that um, message much earlier in life than, than I did. So Wow. I'm not, I I mean for starters, what I want to mention is that there are good and bad things to do with that. Like sometimes mm. I look back and go, God, I wish I just got some science degree or some <laughs> degree in accounting because you know it would be so much easier just from to to skip from one job to another. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it comes with its pressure, but um, I demand you know more freedom in life than most people. You know, I I, uh, I don't just want to. Um, live a life where I just wake up and go to work and pay bills you know I don't want my life to be revolved around paying bills and then I die you know nothing <laughs> yeah. nothing depresses me more I, sure. I just want my um, questions answered and um, and things like that so sorry did I answer your question what well it, yeah. was, it was just that thought of going like for you to well, let me put this another way mm, and maybe mm, give it a bit of context. I, I tend to find when it comes to university study, yeah. or even earlier than that with high schools and things, and then later yeah. on in careers, yeah. um, the advice that people tend to get is more around, well, you've got to be practical. You've got to yes, see, what's, yeah. see what the market needs and how are you going to buy a house with an XYZ degree, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, maybe but, maybe my teachers weren't as good as yours. I don't know. Maybe well, that's a bad thing. Though, I don't. I don't feel like. I don't feel like it really served me particularly well anyway. Well, because no, I know, am joking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I I had enough skills that people would see. Oh, you're good at this. You should do that. You mm, should do this. You should do this. Yeah. Yeah. But the actual thought of going, oh, what am I actually naturally curious in yeah, and, yeah. and gifted in, yeah. and that being enough to pursue? Um, mm. I must admit, I, I relied on a friend to point that out to me one day for me to go, oh actually that's a good idea maybe i should do that so yeah yeah, yeah. i guess i see there's usually a lot of pressure mm. from the outside in um telling people what they should study or what direction they, they should find so i'm just oh, curious yeah. to know I mean, how you i mean i did have that pressure um particularly from my old man my father i mean he he wasn't a big fan of my degree i mean <laughs> it, it, I, I, Your dad wasn't a big yeah. fan of a sociology and media studies paper. I'm shocked. <laughs> he, he, he did try and steer me away a few moments during it. And, yeah. and, you know, I could see his frustration when he would ask me questions like, what do you want to do and, hmm. and with this? What can you do? And I said, you know, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll figure out something. Wow. Um, um, in terms of what, what really, um, what went on in my head that allowed me to follow a... Um, a path where uh, I was doing it for me and for yeah. not for anyone else, that's hard to answer. I mean, it, it just comes down to a little bit of stubbornness and a little bit of um, just not wanting to to live an ordinary life because it... it, it it, the idea of it made me sick, you know, like just the idea <laughs> yeah. of, of living, totally doing the nine to five. Yeah. And I mean, I bet if I did um, get an accounting degree or something, yeah. I would have been that guy who shot up the place in four years, you know, just started, <laughs> just just came to work with a gun and just yeah. ripped it out and just started pulling the trigger, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, think, I appreciate your honesty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, just being part of the system, being a cog in the system, really, it gr- grind my gears. The the thought of it just didn't appear appeal to me early on. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So you were yeah. open to kind of these more adventurous ways of living. Yeah, I'm not sure if if my mind or body would even allow me a different sort of life. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, from my own experience, I know when I've I've taken on opportunities and things like that because I mm. felt like they're what I I should do. Mm. Um, and look, I've I've actually taken massive value from a lot of those things. But I'm sure. But, yeah. but similarly, there comes a point, and I I felt it as well that yeah. you just go like, man, this goes against everything that I'm about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, what am I doing? Why am I here? What's yeah. all this? Kind of, you know, like existential angst. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, it. that's it right there. For sure, for sure. So then tell me about, obviously you've, so you've done the cruise ship thing and you've become mm. an art expert overnight to do that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, fake it till you make it a little bit. I mean, obviously, um, so I, I learned as much as I could um, when it came to getting interviewed, the, the interviewer, um, she liked me, you know, so you, the gift of the gab mm. works for a lot of a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I, I managed to get on the ships, pass everything, and they, they put you through a two-week training course where they, you, you know, you train with some elders, um, well, um, veterans of the Park West Gallery, um, and then at the end of the day, they pop you on stage in, in front of 100 people, and mm. some guy in the back of the room with a microphone goes, you know, um, uh, why can't I remember any artist? In um, <laughs> he'll go, you know, Peter Max, and then you have to do like five minutes on Peter Max, the artist. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And um, so I mean, I got through it. I I wouldn't have 
called myself an expert at any level, but I, I did that for a few years and it was uh-huh. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did Africa start to feature on all this? Okay, yeah, okay. So on my last contract on the ship, um, I made a friend. Uh, she was from South Africa. And... Um, and I was like, you know, Africa's always been on my bucket list. Um, you know, I, I, there's a few things in this world that I absolutely adore, and it's um, animals, more so wild animals, you know, mm-hmm. the lions and the, you know, the snakes like and the bears. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and um, just their, um, you know, natural environment and uh, everything like that. Mm. So, um so I mean, Africa has been at the top of the bucket list for a few years, and and she was part of our art team, and she was totally cool, and she actually came from a relatively wealthy background. So she was like, um, at the end of the contract, um, if you want to come over, you know, stay with me, um, you know, obviously you'll be free. You'll just mm. have to um, pay for your own food and stuff, and mm-hmm. we'll go on adventures and everything. So um, I did exactly that. At the end of my um, contract, we finished at the same time. I went and had a two-month holiday over in South Africa, um, and she lived in Rustenburg, but we, we went around to different places, and I had two months there just rolling around adventures. Um, it was a fantastic um, way to have a holiday because um, converting, I was earning American dollars on the cruise ship and converting, oh, that, that, over, rand. Yeah, wow. converting that over to rand, it was just, <laughs> you know, it was super easy just to do whatever I wanted. Um, and we went to a lot of um, wildlife reserves. We went to Kruger National Park. Um, and it was just a ball. And I I could not, um, I just didn't want to leave. You understand? So, mm. so what I did at the end of my two-month holiday is I came back to New Zealand and I immediately applied for a visa, which ended up taking about six and a half to seven months. Really? Yeah. Is yeah. that uncommon? Uh, are you asking if that's a small amount of time or a yeah, long amount? Of time? Yeah. It is quite a small amount. Of time. I thought really? it was too. Really? Is that short? Is it? I, I thought it was. Uh, I, yeah. This is the first visa I've gone oh, for, okay. so I'm right. <laughs> uh, I'm uneducated in the visa process. But um, just as a side note, how does that work with cruise ships? Because you current like often obviously in different kind of places, so you don't need visas for anything of that. Right. You're part of the ship. Yeah. You. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So you do kind of get a, a visa for the cruise ship, but it's like. A visa to be on the ships, you actually, I actually had a ship passport. I had a secondary passport that um, allowed me to be on the ships, in which case, yeah, in which case, um, uh, you're kind of like a resident of international waters. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) it, dude. That's the thing. Yeah. So, um, so, um, there, there are a few things to note. Um, I might tell you in a second, but basically you're allowed to be on the sea and visit these countries. Yeah. uh, But you've got to be back on the ship at a specific hour. Um, um, you can do there overnights exist, but, um, on some cruise ships, they never happen for me. But, um, but at the end of the day, your home is the cruise ship, and that's who you report to. Blah 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 blah. Um, so okay, yeah. I mean, there's certain things like, for instance, um, I know there was like some South Africans that came to Park West, and they weren't allowed to go on a cruise ship that was going to like Europe or something, really? because because of their country's laws, somehow it. <laughs> pulled across so they weren't allowed to be in a cruise ship that went around Europe. I don't, I won't pretend to 
completely understand that whole thing. I've let myself get sidetracked, but that just kind of stood out to me as something quite unusual. Yeah, yeah. How did it work? So anyway, so six, six, seven months later, you've got your uh, your African visa. I got my visa, dude, and I got a critical skills visa. I I mean, it's still valid. I got it's, you know, they gave me five years. I mean, so five years. Five years. I mean, tell them you're a brain surgeon. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the category I went for was up in the brain surgeon category, right? So (laughs) it was. It was on the list. So, um, so um, uh, yeah. Well, we we just project this brain surgeon aura about you. Like I just get this guy could mess around with the inside of my head. That's fine. Well, the thing is, okay. So I I wanted my visa, and I wanted the best visa. Mm. because I was certain I wasn't, I was going to spend a great amount of time in Africa. And um, and I asked the lady, hey, um, I want the best visa, critical skills. Um, I can send you a list of what you need to be um, to get a critical skills. And the list wasn't long. There was like 10 bullet points. And there was surgeon on there. And there was some other intense roles. Like, you know, obviously they need high professional yeah. experts, high-level yeah. professional experts, etc. And there's, there was one called System Integration Specialist. I'm like, what is that? I've never even heard. Have you heard of that? I, system no. Integration it Specialist. It sounds like that kind of IT <laughs> black magic. Yeah, that yeah. you just be like, yeah, yeah. that's with the megabytes, yeah, right? Yeah, you're like, you're like, yeah, I've got one of those. Like an Edward Snowden-type character, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I figure he would be, like, one of the only uh, few in the wouldn't world. Wouldn't he be on the blacklist of people you yeah, wouldn't want to Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. So, um, so basically, I you know Wikipedia this, and I was like, okay, it breaks down to like, and this this specialist has to know like a hundred different things, and I'm like, okay, well, this is one category I'm semi trained in, and I just kind of followed the line, and I came back and I said, okay, I can prove this, and I said, yes, I'm a system integration specialist, and I can prove it by. Um, you know, showing you some past work and um, I can um, get references that I say that I've been involved in the digital community and okay. um, and I did get some references to say, just use this term, you know, system integration, <laughs> just like flick it in there. Yeah. Um, okay, you're sure. And um, so I mean... So right, so this is general references. <laughs> We're sitting used to it. You said, could you just say yeah, it? Yeah, I went back and forth with a couple of them. So, um, <laughs> you sure you were just there as a con man? Yeah. Like, at this point, okay, yep. So, so I mean, it all worked out, and um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it was great, and um, and um, so, but, but yeah, so anyway, it was successful. I got my five years, and you know, the interesting thing about getting that particular critical skills visa is that if you work for something like a certain amount of months, I think it's a year and a half or two years, um in that role then they just give you permanent residency huh they just flick you the piece of paper you just have it yeah i know i know i know but anyway that look by the way doesn't come across well on a podcast but it was a look that goes really? regret like, yeah, what? Like, yeah. Okay. I, sh- I should have held out a few more months yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. okay all right yeah so anyway you got your visa your flight so what exactly was your role going to be though like when when you went over well, once again, I was going to wing it. So, I mean, I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I'm going to say you're my hero right now. You know, all right, yep. I didn't. Um... I'm a system integration specialist. What are you going to do? I don't know. Yeah. That's not important. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, 
I don't know what to tell you, but basically I was just like, okay. I had this flash in my mind of like, you know, if there's any, any parents or anything listening to this going, oh, you know, maybe there's something in this for my kids to listen to. But how to plan your career? Well, first of all... <laughs> just complete fabrication. But I yeah. mean, like... Um, I, I suppose that's where that marketing kind of, uh, you know... The gift the gap yeah, happens kind of once and again. You're like, yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, man. I mean, I guess I thought I'd just... And this is exactly what happens. I get over, then I start applying for jobs that I'm actually qualified for. Yeah. So, I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so that... I mean, that happened. I yeah. mean, yeah. and... Um, and here we go. I mean, this is me. I'm applying for... Um, uh, you know, nature reserves and mm. things like this because I want to be involved in... Um, in uh, in the bush, I want to be, you know, I want to be Tarzan number two. I want to be, right. you know, I want to be living there. I want to be experiencing it. I want to be, I want my um, feet to be touching the, the dirt and mm. and to, to be able to see animals um, every single day. And, you know, I got one other job. Um, it was a freelance job. Where was it? Jackie's Lodge in Medekwe, um first. And I, I freelanced there for a fortnight. Mm. Doing what? Um, I was okay so here you go okay so I this wasn't one of the jobs that I applied for with my traditional CV mm. I actually applied for a role in doing some tourism oh, okay. um, like some you know um, like a like not quite a ranger but um, like tour guide okay um, so it had me set up um, I was supposed to be a driver so drive a truck around and have a photographer in the car and he takes um, you know, perfect uh, photos, etc. Mm. And they'll be f- they can use that for their marketing, etc. Oh, sure. And yeah. then and it was going to be a new thing that they did that um, if you're really into photography, come to Jackie's Lodge. We have an expert photographer, and you can jump in there. We will lend you a, a, a proper camera, and you can go around and learn photography techniques. Take wonderful photos of animals. And you'll get those wonderful photos and you'll learn something about photography. And this is going to be their new thing that they did at mm. Jackie's Lodge. And, um, and it, it, I mean, it, it just didn't come into fruition. It was just, I mean, it would have cost a bit of money, um, a little bit of overheads for them to do it. Mm. Um, you know, um, but they realized soon on that there weren't enough people who were particularly interested in that. Okay. Who were you know, they wanted to go to there, look at animals? Sure, they want to take a photo, but they don't want to pay a little bit extra to sit with a photography expert and listen to this guy harp on all day. Uh, Instead, right. they just wanted to okay. be kind of left alone. If not, they wanted the ranger to talk about the animals, uh, not okay. the photographer yeah, to talk right. about photography. Yeah. yeah, sure. So I I only ended up being there for a couple of weeks. Um, mm. Um, but uh, oh, uh, to be quite honest, I'm so glad it didn't work out because I I really yeah I couldn't I couldn't really stand that place. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was a very different vibe than yeah. um, you know the reserve I ended up being at. Mm. And um, and to be honest, um, another white male going in for a tour guide position, I felt a lot of. Um, hostility like a little bit of really? racism undertones because um okay. yeah because the 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 tour guides there mm. were all uh white um south south african men mm. and um and uh, although you get both black and white um tour guides um from my experience they're predominantly white and um and i guess they didn't want 
you know, a foreigner taking one of their jobs. I don't know. I mean, yeah, oh. there was some undertones there. They they definitely they definitely kept me at arm's reach. It oh. got quite awkward. You know, mm. I was left out of conversations, things like that. So, yeah, yeah. So you're a white man experiencing racism yes. in South Africa. Yes. <laughs> The struggle is real. <laughs> the struggle is real. Obviously, it's nothing to moan and cry about, but sure, um, sure. but I mean, um, I'm just kind oh, of the comedy value of that's amazing. Yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> it didn't keep me up at night. I mean, if if if, if 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 the job went ahead, that I yeah. definitely would have stayed there. Yeah, it was just yeah. one of those things where I look back on it now. I'm like, I'm glad that it mm. didn't work out. So tell me about the place you ended up. So that was that was the next one after this, right? Yes, yes, yeah. this, the next one after this, and then I got a job um, as a, 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 online relations um, and uh, social media management. My my um, job title ended up being communications manager okay. um, for Global White Line Protection Trust. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, you you know I can go into the 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 kind of goals mm. the the goal of the trust well the Global White Line Protection Trust is a non-profit organization. Mm. Um, uh, so basically, their their the main overall full goal is um, to spread awareness and help save um, people, animals, and land. Yeah. So that's their full big goal. Um, okay. Knowing the fact that. Um, you know, we as humans need both animals and this um, ecosystem to survive, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. Um, to you know, we all three need to work in harmony to be successful. So that's their full goal. But of course, um, protecting all that's an awfully big task. So yeah. they 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 specialize in um, protecting white lions. Mm. Um, um, so we they have uh, the Global White Lion Protection Trust has um, six white lines. Um, I'll, I'll get into this more um, a little bit down the road, but uh, there's only twelve white white lions that are wild that exist wow. in the world. And the Global White Lion Protection Trust had six of them uh, spread into three different prides. There were three different prides of lions at the trust. Okay, and. Um, <clears throat> So, so yeah, so the goal was to protect white lions. Um, uh, number one, because um, white, specifically white lions, number one, because white lions are so incredibly rare. Yeah. And they're very close to becoming extinct. Yeah. And number two, for spiritual beliefs. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Which is, which is an interesting kind of thing. But so I, is a white lion not an albino lion? Or is no, it... that's a fascinating question. That's probably the most common question. So, um, so the white lion isn't albino, um, but um, the reason why... Uh, so Jason, he leads the White Lion Protection Trust. Yeah. Um, he's a scientist, he's an ecologist, and he leads the White Lion Protection Trust in trying to make the white lions a subspecies of the traditional golden lion uh, okay. known as the tawny lion. Okay. So uh, the goal of the trust is to make... Um, you know, one of the goals of the trust is to make the white lines uh, be seen and noted in the scientific community as a subspecies of the tra traditional tawny lion. Okay. Um, and the most common question, like you said, uh, is um, are white lions albino? And they are not. Um, it's quite complicated because there's been many studies done, um, but they're essentially... Um, 
because of the, the color of their eyes are brown or blue, they've got like a, a black tipped ears and things like that, and essentially it's a recessive gene, and okay. that's why they they have uh, white pigmentation. Okay. So recessive gene, so it's like having um, blue eyes in okay. a human. Or just the difference between, say, brunettes and blondes or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. in a world where only one in every however many thousand is blonde. Yeah, correct. Okay. So... Um, so, I mean, at the moment, yeah, the scientific community just lops them in together. I mean, that's the whole um, sad thing about it. So, um, I guess I can I can say, talk about this. And I like the, the one of the reasons why they hired me for the trust um, and to do their online um, mm. management is because um, there's this board called CITES. Uh, what is it called? What the acronym stands for, um, I could Google it. Go on then. Um, okay, so there's this board called CITES, and they are the ones who um, who get to decide what um, what vulnerability level um, all African uh, animals are at. Well, I mean, every country has uh, a CITES category, um, but CITES decides what vulnerability level um, animals are on. And CITES stands for Convention on International Trade in Endangered uh, Species. Okay. So, which which is scary enough, the fact that they're called international trade, not international protection, isn't it? Uh, so, who's who's behind that that trust? Do you say it's a trust? Um, uh, it's, it's, it's been noted as society, convention. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, convention of board members. I, I wouldn't um, pretend to know who's on that, but I mean, much like everything else in Africa, it's most likely corrupt. <laughs> um, Did you have much experience of that even working with the White Lion Trust? Oh, definitely. Tell yeah. me more about that. Yeah, so, well, I mean, uh, okay, so... As much as you can without endangering those you no one care about. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, there's not there's not much to say. I only had um, a little eye-opener into corruption when I was there because there are indigenous people... Um, working for the trust, right? So yeah. just um, native South Africans, um, uh, they, they just come from really poor families, you know. Um, um, their families, you know, there's fields and fields in South Africa of just dirt and um, on that dirt is like these tin houses made out of like sheet metal where it's mm. like one side here, one side here, a couple more for the roof. And that's where families live and and raise their kids and just try and get by day by day. Yeah. And um, the people that worked at the trust, there was maybe about 12 of them, um, that all their families were back at these squatter camps. And... Um, and uh, so they're very poor and things like that. And um, th one particular thing that interests me is one day it rolled around that uh, election day was coming up. Yeah. And um, and uh, the, the, they all had T-shirts on. Okay, so basically the, the, the president of South Africa is uh, uh, Jacob Zuma. Um, incredibly corrupt. He says and does the most wild things. I have, I have oh. seen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. I've got to show you this. It's super funny. I mean, okay. So one story is, um, one story is um, that, um, and this he, a reporter who, who took the under story is straight from the horse's mouth. 
he he had been noted uh, to sleep with this woman who was um, renowned for having like AIDS, like yeah. sexual and um, like you know sexual diseases. And um, he said, "Oh, it doesn't matter. I take a shower straight after sex." That's a quote from Zuma. And one more thing was that okay, while his entire country is like third world and in poverty, he owns like a cliff. With yeah. a giant house and all these other, he's little... got like a compound, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he's got a like compound. A, yeah, I have, I've seen that. It's madness. And then on that compound is this gigantic pool. And when they're questioning him, like, um, why do you need all this stuff? Like, what's up with this pool? And then he said, "Oh, that's a like a fire pool. So basically, if my house catches fire." Um, people can get water from that and then throw it on the fire <laughs> and then that protects your president. Well, look, you joke, but has, he, but has he been killed in a house fire? <laughs> no, he has not. So <laughs> who's laughing now? Maybe he's got it all connected. Maybe but... he's got it figured out, man. Like, what do we know? You know? <laughs> do you have a compound on a clifftop? I don't. So, so basically, um, it came around to, for, for voting, they, they, it was a big vote while I was there. And um, obviously his party is corrupt. Yeah. There's much more evidence to support that. And um, and all the workers that we had down there, that um, they just lived down a hill from me sure. in their little, little units. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and they were all wearing T-shirts mm-hmm. with the guy on it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, well... You know what? Are, what are you doing? You, why would you vote for him? Mm. And they all got a day off, and they all voted for. I'm not sure if they voted for Zuma again or someone who was in his party. Okay. Yeah. A, um, both A and C, so it could have been the A and C. Yeah, I can't remember. But you anyway, were, you were there, man. I don't know. Yeah, they <laughs> they voted for this guy, and um and and I was trying to understand why, and um and they're like, oh the like inc- included Jacob Zuma they're all involved in um Mandela's party yeah so yeah. all they remember is Nelson Mandela and and obviously Nelson Mandela was a a wonderful man but um and they just believe that everyone else that um was in his party is also a wonderful man huh. so um so they just stick like that you know, they're incredibly uneducated and that, that's the thing that's what um it kind of becomes blaringly obvious is that um, the 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 government works to keep these people that live in the squatter squatter camps. They keep them uneducated because there are heaps of them, mm. and th- th- if they're uneducated, they're always going to vote for their party because all they need to know is that you know they're connected to Nelson Mandela. Wow. So that's how they stay in power. They keep these particular people oppressed, uneducated. They fling up a billboard here and there mm. saying, hey, Nelson Mandela's my boy, and then that's enough. And there's more. There's so many of the uneducated and poor people um, that, you know, all these educated people are never going to be able to get their guy in. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's fascinating, right? Yeah, it's it sad. is. It is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So, so how did that affect then, for this trust, I'm thinking mm. as well, like, uh, I mean, where'd they get their money from? Um, how did, how were they able to function in an environment like that, which is obviously not a wealthy... Yeah. So, the trust, I'm not sure how well they do financially, but they they have plenty of 
they seem to have plenty of tourism. Okay. Um, so you get... so they facilitate some of the tourism to see the white lions. Yes, and that's exactly. What funds them. Yes. Ah, okay. So okay. so they get a, they get Americans over. Right. They want to see the white lions. You know, Linda Tucker, the founder of uh, White Lion Trust, um, she's very active in marketing. You know, she's got a couple of books out. Okay. A third one's going to be released. You know, um, and I can tell you that. Uh, they're quite active on social media channels and things like that and mm. you know they've both uh, Linda Tucker and Jason Turner have you know uh, had their fair share of TV interviews and things like that sure. so so um, they're, they're pseudo celebrities in the um, conservation world right okay yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah. so um, so yeah they get enough tourists and it seems like they get enough tourists and it seems like they do it right okay yeah 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 so tell me about then for you the, the personal payoff with this as well because obviously if you're in this role mm-hmm. uh, you're not doing it to make bank and uh, you know what, what made it purposeful or meaningful for you what made it rewarding yeah okay so I mean it's 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 going to be either so simple this answer that it's boring um, or or it's going to be something that I can't quite explain so the 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 thing that got me up early every morning and um, made me work on the weekends like doing 12 13 hour days um, it was simply because I was exhilarated being around these animals and right. being free I left my entire life behind you know internet was bad so I had very little access to email and social media I was um, I was really experiencing the African life, and um, and uh, obviously I'd become more and more in tune with the crisis, the um, the you know the the crisis that the animal kingdom faces. Um, I mean, I mean, lions have dropped. I think there's uh, less than thirty thousand lions in Africa, where like a century ago it was over two hundred thousand, and really? they're still on the society's board members still. Um, regulate them as appendix two so they're not even vulnerable lions can still be hunted and and um, thrown in zoos and all this type of stuff so um you know i became very aware of the crisis um Tell me so more about i want to i, I want to I, w- yeah. I will come back to it yeah, but when yeah, you speak yeah. of that as a crisis uh i am aware for myself of mm. Broadly, being aware that yeah. there are environmental concerns and agencies working yeah. in Africa there, but yeah. what's your experience or perspective on that crisis? What it looks like? Yeah, well, that that's the thing, and um, once again, you can't help but um, think that the CITES board members they were corrupt, right? Because um, Appendix One means that um, these animals are close to extinction. Mm-hmm. So you can no longer touch these animals. Um, appendix two means that they are not now threatened with extinction. So um, even though the regulation of lions keeps dropping dramatically throughout yeah. the years, I mean, they say, Linda Tuck and Jason Turner have said, um, it, and other people have theorized that uh, lions... Um, may not last to the end of our generation which means that really? our kids may never ever be able to see a wild lion which is freaky i've never heard that before bizarre right really i mean that's that's so scary and um and yet with all these sat- facts and statistics um the society's board members kept them on level uh, level two appendix two so they can still be hunted um killed 
thrown in zoos. And, and sorry, and this is why this is why Global White Lion Trust wants to make the white lion a subspecies because oh. now it's still categorized as a normal lion, and because there's only twelve left in the world, um, it'll be super endangered. Yeah, and can't. yeah, right. exactly. Right. Um, because if someone wants to um, go get the head of a white lion, they can. Legally, they can't touch any at Global White Lion Protection Trust, but they can manage to do so um, somewhere else, get one of the other six. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's fascinating. And, and basically, the lion is the number one trophy, trophy, hunting trophy. Sorry. Okay. Every hunter wants a lion. And what's better than a lion is a white lion because it's even rarer. Sure. So the white lion is the number one hunting trophy. So that's why um, Global White Lion Protection Trust are so um, fierce in their journey to protect them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me about your connection with environmental matters then, and obviously that connected to why you worked with the trust, but what was, has, has that always been a value you've shared or something you became aware of? And... Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was involved in the conservation environmental community before I went to Africa. I had always had a heart um, for animals and um, and the ecosystem beforehand, but um, when I got there, that's when I started to become educated bit by bit. I honestly had no idea how much of a crisis it is and uh, how much of a crisis it had become. I um, was quite ignorant, but um, but the the involvement I had was just essentially through the trust. In which case, um, we would you know be essentially raising awareness constantly mm. about um about the matters that um that that go on throughout um throughout Africa because i mean the there's there's essentially no one um who's really protecting like no government body who's really protecting these animals these it's only individuals who start nature reserves right. that you know that's it's it's um you know, it's self-funded individuals who are trying to do with the protection. There's no, you can't see much evidence of any government bodies helping to protect these animals, which is so sad. So when you speak yeah. about the, the raising of awareness and things like that, mm. that was central to your role then as the, I'm doing air quotes, communications manager. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Especially when it was like uh, social media, when I was doing social media work for them. Okay. Yeah, and of course, you know, I was doing some... Um, you know, content writing for the website and stuff. So I was going sure. through them. But so when you I mean, say you did thirteen hour days, like I'm just trying to like I'll, I'll be honest, the cynical part of me goes thirteen hours a day writing Facebook posts. Like no, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. So um so um um the one of the main reasons why I was hired for the trust, sorry, is because the society's board members were voting the year I was there. Right. And the Global White Line Protection Trust wanted to get them from appendix two up to appendix one so no one can touch lions anymore. Um, so they hired me so we can run an online social media campaign right. to be able to intimidate the board members of society. So we wanted to, um, we did, we ran an international campaign, um, you know, and our, our goal was to make, you know, videos go viral and really seriously in intimidate these board members. Um, and we ran a fantastic campaign, and this is where my 13-hour days comes from, you know, yeah. because um, because we're a non-profit, but we needed experts helping us. So we had people in England and people in uh, Hawaii, America and stuff that were the Skype, we were doing Skype meetings, etc. and I had to be up at certain hours so I could ah. talk to these particular people, and um, um, so... 
you know, the trust couldn't afford to pay for these people. They, they're yeah. doing it out of the kindness of their hearts, but they're doing it from the offices in other countries, things like that. So there was a lot to do. There's always a lot to do when running it, like a marketing campaign like that. Yeah. And there was especially a lot to do because we didn't have enough people, you know. Yeah. We're all yeah. doing 10 jobs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I mean, uh, we, we ran um, a wonderful campaign um, uh, we raised some sense of awareness, um, but unfortunately, we did not intimidate those board members. Right. It wasn't it wasn't a complete success. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. What what can you say? I mean, I had my hopes raised high, and I I I thought that we had everything in our arsenal to be able to to do what we to accomplish what we wanted. Um, uh, it's it's just unfortunate that um, I mean the, the, this I guess I, I don't want to just make blanket statements but I guess they're just stubborn in their corruption you know it's it, it, because I mean Linda Tucker and Jason Turner they got on the news for this marketing campaign and things like that and they got um, TV spots and everything right so I mean it would be hard for me to believe that someone administrative involved in the society's um, convention did not get that information to them and and, and that um, you know it's hard for me to believe that they didn't know what we were doing but um, it's easy for me to believe that they weren't it didn't touch their heart sure. that they weren't shifted emotionally yeah. by it because um, you can tell that um, a lot of the government bodies over there they are after you know self-interest Mm. You know, they're after growing themselves, not the country. Yeah. 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 So what would you do differently? Ooh, that's a really good question. What could you do differently? I mean, I think 100% effort went into um, what we did. Um, however, nothing went viral. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the trust even went down on the roads and protested. So... We got our hands dirty. Um, what else could you do from that? I'm not too sure. That's a really good question. If anyone else wants to give me some <laughs> answers, feel free to email in. <laughs> and if anyone else wants to visit their website, it's whitelines.org. Whitelines.org. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how long were you with the trust in total? I was with the trust for about nine months. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... And in Africa for a bit over 13. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then, tell me about the the journey of you. You mentioned being so energized by being around these animals. And, oh yeah. Uh, I mean, can in the time. You, can you imagine? Like, I'm sitting there in my dinky shack of an office. Yeah. Um, and then you get baboons and monkeys just, <laughs> just you know, coming by. Um, you we get snakes in the office. <laughs> we uh, we had a black mamba trapped in our office. For like three days, <laughs> and it was so scary. Um, and, but but there's nothing to do with the black mamba. So basically, luckily the um, the mamba was in uh, one of the office rooms. Yeah. So we had just closed the door to the main office space <laughs> and then opened the window. Yeah. And uh, we didn't see evidence for three days, so we just couldn't use that office room for three days. And that's all you can do, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Take a chance with the black mamba. Well. You you don't want to. It's not suggested. But I mean, some some people do. There's yeah. heaps of stories. But of course, at the White Line Trust, um, there's a heavy element of um, not hurting anything. 
Oh, of course. Yes, of course. yeah. So you don't yeah. hurt anything. I mean, I had. I wasn't suggesting you hurt it. It was more just you know you pop your head into the room and right. see if it's there. <laughs> right. You're a black mumbo in this room. Right, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I guess that was the best thing to do at the time. Yeah. One of the rangers just no no. We'll yeah. just open a window. And so, can't use this. So so from going from this point though, where you're mm. in an environment that you so find so fulfilling and and mm. uh, you know, energizing. Yes. But you decided to come home. Okay, so yeah, I mean, there's there's not much to say there. It just got to a point um, where obviously the marketing campaign had finished. Sure. Um, I put a lot of effort into that, and um, it felt good. And then I was just going back to the daily routine at the White Line Trust, um, so I didn't feel as though. It was crucial to have me there. I feel like mm. now that the campaign over and done with, while the campaign was on, I was the guy, right? But yeah. now the campaign was over, they could they could fill my role yeah. if they wanted. So basically, I didn't have guilt about leaving the trust. And it was just the journey from my time in Africa had come to a close, right? Mm. Yeah, mm. so it was as simple as that. I just felt like my journey had come to an end. And I just felt it deep inside. So, right. um, so that's what I did. And I felt, um, I felt um, a pull to come back home to New Zealand. Okay. That and I really missed the beach. <laughs> There's not many beaches over it, especially not in the jungle. No, I imagine no. not. No, no, no. no. no it's, yeah, I, I can see how that would be a, a difficult journey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so you come back to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, having been in Africa for this period of time. Mm-hmm. How much were you aware that it affected your awareness or your consciousness about the way we live in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. Like, um, for instance, what I took for granted in New Zealand beforehand was um, wonderful, like, um, you know, retail experiences. And uh-huh. things like you go in a shop, people generally have good manners. Right. Uh, people generally, uh, you know, are focused on you and are there to help and care. When, when, with my experiences over in South Africa, when I'd go into anywhere, any tiny little dinky shop, a supermarket, um, especially the bank, the bank was a nightmare over there. Um, people just want you out of the door. <laughs> they, they, there's no pretending over there. They, they don't even pretend like they want to be hard workers. They just, they're there, you know, like, um, and also, um, you know, for instance, the bank, um, the person at the bank never knows completely what they're doing. <laughs> and I've been to a lot of banks over there. Yeah. And um, so they always have to get a team of about three to four people hovering over you to solve your one stupid problem, like uh, right. opening a new bank account okay. or sending money overseas. You know, like um, they can't achieve a task individually. Um, and I don't know. I I don't know why. I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess it's a whole bunch of things, but but um, but I, I I definitely took that for granted. Um, obviously. So, cleaning cleaning dishes in the sink, things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I've, be, I've become very um, aware that, uh, you know, um, we, we tend to waste a lot of water back here in, the, in New Zealand. I, at the trust, at the White Line Trust, see all water comes from borehole. Do you know what that uh-huh. is? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You dig down into the ground and yeah. there's like a um, pump that... Yeah, from the ex- exactly. So you have a certain amount of water you're allowed to use up every day. Yeah. And also, it tastes disgusting. 
like it tastes like mud. Well, it did where I was living. Apparently, sure. it it tastes the water tasted different. Different points <laughs> of contrast. We yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. yeah. So where where I was living, they said the cheap bore where you were. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was like liquid mud. It was it was quite foul and um and also you know. Did you have to boil it and stuff, or was it safe? It was safe to drink from the tap, but the annoying part is whenever you wanted to. Uh, use the water there was only a certain amount and then you had to go outside and pump mm. the generator so every single person on the land gets gets taught how to pump mm. so you don't want to walk outside in your jandals after you, at like nine o'clock at night and 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 you know risk the snake attacks and the scorpion attacks and the tarantula attacks and the whatever else wants to get you yeah just to pump water so you you end up being very conservative about these things um <laughs> and oh okay so um so one of the things though coming back home is that i've become very like well i became startled easily when i was over in africa uh-huh. and coming back here so i'd get anything that flies through my window here like a piece of dust or a leaf and i instantly react to it because i think it's going to be something <laughs> and i'm still doing it to this day but back over in you know when i was staying in africa well i was living in this crappy shack you know it was decades old it was made of wood um, you know, sorry, like uh, really bad wood. Mm. Um, the the door to the outside world, there was a huge gap underneath. So everything comes in. I had snakes coming in under my door. I had tarantulas and scorpions um, coming in under my door. I In the ceiling, there was holes. And I had the scattling of mice and rats in the ceiling all the time. I just got used Living to it. Living the dream, bro. Oh, my gosh. And once again, we're not allowed to kill anything. Mm. So we just have to let them live. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know. Oh. And um, so you have to just, I mean, you you just, it's, it's, it's very normal to have to get out of your bed at 11 o'clock at night to shoo a scorpion out of your room. I once um, um, was watching something on my laptop and I moved over to see this hairy big tarantula on my bed. I have no idea how it gets there. You know, you have, um, you have snakes coming in. <laughs> Did I? Do you want to know the story about how I had the python? You can't. You can't yeah. introduce something like that and then not tell me the story. Yeah, the yeah, python, yeah, so. yeah. This the, now this was okay. Let's get into it. okay. So basically, um, it was twelve forty-five ish, and I hear some noise going on in the other room. I'm in bed, obviously, um, sleeping, all that stuff, and then about fifteen minutes later, I hear a louder thud, and I'm like, oh. Well, I mean, it's probably mice or rats. Hmm. Um, obviously, uh, I, I'm going to have to check it out anyway. I need to pee, so whatever. Let's get up. And I get up, I turn on the lights, and I move. Okay, so I leave my bedroom, hmm. and then outside my bedroom is a wider space, hmm. and then just beyond that is the bathroom. Yep. So I'm leaving my bedroom, I'm walking through the wider space, I get to the bathroom. In the bathroom, I see that the window's open, the curtain rail had been ripped off and was now on the floor. There's something else on the wall over here, it was like an air conditioner thing. It had been ripped off, the bin's knocked over, something else is knocked over, and it's a little bit dusty and things like that. And I was like, what did this? Uh, I was more asleep than I was awake at this point. Uh-huh. So I wasn't startled yet. I was like, ugh. And I turn around. 
to see a real life monster. You know, uh, this, it was the biggest python snake I've ever seen. Okay, it was about 15 centimeters in diameter. Yeah. And I could see about four meters of its body. But then it was still sleeking off the table that it was sitting on. <laughs> and now uh, you've heard that term, psycholog- so, psychological term, fight or flight. Yeah. I didn't fight or fly. Yeah. I just froze. I for a, like five seconds yeah. was the scaredest I've ever been in my life, and I <laughs> shuddered. I was so happy no one witnessed this moment because <laughs> this was the most pathetic moment I've ever had in my life. I shuddered and I couldn't move for a good five seconds. Yeah. Um, um, because you know it is you come face to face with a wild monster and right. that thing. The thing about pythons is that they're luckily they're not poisonous. Yeah. But um, but they're, they're so strong. Yeah. yeah, they're constrictors, so they yeah. they could break your bones, and obviously they're very fast. Right. Um, Are they really? I, I don't know. In my yeah. mind, I, I felt like that because they're so big, they're slow. But well, I've I've seen video clips. So moving through the sand, going like this yeah. slow, but like if they're here and they want to move their face to here. That's very quick, oh, right? right? You know, right. so that okay. part, right? Sure. Um, so basically, um, thankfully, you know, at this point, I had a million snake encounters, and I'd already done some research on snakes and stuff. So after my five seconds of complete fear, I did chill out because the telltale signs of when a snake is aggressive is um, write down notes, kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Particularly with a python. He will wrap himself around circularly into like almost a pyramid type form. Oh yeah. Um, that's one. And also they will raise their necks. And mm. so it will be like, you know, the owl shape with their neck and their head. Uh-huh. And that's uh, that's the real one to look out for. This guy was chilling. <laughs> he he actually... <laughs> it's just like, hey bro. <laughs> yeah, he was he was totally chilling. He would, he's like in a figure eight position um, and his face and head were relaxed on the bigger part of his his body Mm. and i was like okay he definitely isn't here for me okay so i turn around i pee (laughs) right well because you know you've come there for a purpose i have come there for a purpose yeah and i i come back out and he's still chilling so i walk past him i get a good glorious view of this guy yeah and he is beautiful he is terrifying (laughs) but he is beautiful um and then I go back to my room. That's how you want people to describe you as well, right? right. Oh, he, is, he is beautiful. Yeah. He's terrifying. Oh, yeah. I go back into my room. Obviously, I'm shoving towels and T-shirts and everything <laughs> I have under the doors. Under the door. Right? right? Yeah. And um, the the thing what I deduced was that he would have smelt the rats and mice in my ceiling. Oh, right. And he was sitting on that particular table yeah. because there's a hole in the ceiling. Uh. So... Um, so, oh, sorry, so I was later in bed, and it doesn't take anything more than half an hour later, and I hear the wild scattering of mice and rats in the ceiling, quicker sure. than they've ever been, and then yeah. I hear the loud thrashing of the python. Yeah, right. So he's obviously coming here for the mice and the rats, and he's now that's what he came in for, and he's now devouring them in my ceiling. So I'm laying there in bed, and I'm listening to this. That's it. For two weeks, this goes on. So I, <laughs> for two weeks, I, every single night, obviously that night, I didn't sleep. I yeah. dipped in and out of like three to four minutes yeah. of sleep. Yeah. 
How strong is the I roof? Was done. Like I was gonna say, like, are yeah. you thinking like any it moment it's gonna give way? No, and then, like... it could have easily because <laughs> dust is falling. Um, I, I I remember waking up a few mornings having um, fecal matter, you know, the of the my, r- mice and the rats yeah. had come from somewhere. It was on my bed. Oh. It was next to my pillow, man. For days this was happening. So for a couple of weeks, I was essentially living with the world's best assassin. Because I I failed to mention that this was a hole in my roof. Yeah, right. It was smaller. Um, like I said, the snake was about 15 centimetres in diameter. So I looked at it and I thought, maybe it's about 10. I don't know. Mm. But these snakes, right, they can essentially get through it. But So he had the ability to come to my room while I was sleeping and get me. Um, and that's what I lived with for two weeks. It was it was quite an experience. But once again, he didn't come anywhere near me. He mm. ate those mice and those rats, and then eventually moved on after the two weeks. Basically treated your place like a drive-through McDonald's. And yeah, <laughs> that's one way I'm putting it. That's one way I'm putting it. I I saw it quite beautifully as that he was cleaning house for me. I'm mm. not allowed to kill those mice and rats. Because of the the, mm. the rule of the trust, but he's allowed to. Because that's, that's just true. the circle of life. That's like the Machiavellian kind of like that's the right. mind game. Right? Like, yeah. oh, I can't kill this animal, but if I put it around <laughs> this animal, yeah, that animal yeah, killed yeah, this yeah, animal. Yeah. I set it up. Yeah. I set it up. Yeah, nice. <laughs> it was a plan the whole time. So, yeah. what's, what's next for you then, bro? You're back in New Zealand now. What's You're kind next of, for me? Uh, um, yeah. Um, what happens next? Well, I I have um, a kind of impending need. That I I do want to set up some sense of a base camp because now that of the Africa trip and then the few years living on the sea, um, I haven't had a base camp for a long time. I sure. haven't had a place of, you know, nowhere to send my mail. Hmm. So um, so I do have um, kind of a need to want to just set up camp just for at least a little while. Hmm. No immediate plans just yet. For any more adventures, although um, they are there, they're in the background. Yeah, you know, I've got loose plans for them, and mm. they will they will get accomplished. But um, for right now, it's looking back at my time on the trust. Um, you know, you know, reflecting when I need to reflect, and just enjoying the fact that I can live in this first world country of New Zealand and have the memory of this. Um, brutal third world country in my background and just be thankful for yeah. what that is. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of uh, living it day by day at the moment. I, um, I guess I will, I will treat life a little bit more responsibly now for the time being, but I know that won't last long. It won't last long. Perspective, everybody. That was Ricardo Hay. Amazing story, right? Really interesting dude. I, uh, as I mentioned in the intro... After I first met Ricardo only a few weeks ago, I thought this is a guy with a story to tell. So for those of you who are animal lovers in particular, uh, or have even entertained the thought of just, I don't know, chucking it all in and doing that thing that you always wanted to do, there's a story of somebody who did just that. So exciting conversation. Who knows who I'll talk to next? I've got a few um, interviews lined up already, but I will wait and uh, reveal at the appropriate time. For now, though, thank you again for listening. If you've got any questions or feedback, too, you can send it through to the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com. Until we talk next time, have a great week. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my pants.